uh, being known and knowing love. Uh, so this morning, we're going to take a look here at a portion of the book of Jonah. So before we get into this, I'm going to uh, offer us a prayer for understanding uh, and insight. Let us pray. Oh, God, we are grateful to be together, to hear your word, to think together, to pray together, to move prayerfully closer to you and to one another in the power of the Holy Spirit. So open this word of Jonah to us this morning that we might hear your voice in this word. Amen. If, if we know uh, the book of Jonah at all, we probably know it from the children's version, Jonah and the whale. But like many, maybe most Bible stories that we say are for children, they're really for adults. So before we get into the, the, the last chapter, which is only 11 verses, by the way, from Jonah, you need to hear a bit about the lead up to it. So we're gonna, I'm going to give you the cliff note version of Jonah. So the very first verse is this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come before me. So God has heard that the people, knows that the people in Nineveh are awful people, and he sends Jonah to be the prophet there. Now we sometimes think as prophets as people that foretell the future. In a way they do, but the, prof- the, the future they foretell is, if you don't turn around and do what God is asking you to do, you will be destroyed. So Jonah is told to go and do this, but instead Jonah flees. He's supposed to go to Nineveh. Instead he goes, uh, gets on a ship and he heads to Tarshish. And um, he gets on the ship and a huge storm comes up. And all the sailors are trying to figure out who's responsible for this storm. Whose God do we need to pray to? So they're, they're praying to various gods. And, and along the way, Jonah finally confesses, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. I've disobeyed my God. And um, he begs them, just throw me into the sea. Because if you throw me into the sea, then you'll all be saved. And the last verse of chapter 1 um, tells us that, in fact, that they did do this, that the, that the uh, sailors did throw him into the sea, that the storm calmed, they were saved, and the Lord provided a large fish, we say a whale, to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So the whole chapter, sec, uh, the whole second chapter, which is again only about ten verses, is a prayer of Jonah. He is so thankful to God that God has saved him. Because um, he knows he's done wrong. So he's so thankful that God has saved him. And God hears his prayer. In the last verse of chapter 2, we said, Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out on the dry land. So all is well, maybe. Because then what happens is, um, the Lord comes to Jonah again and tells him, you really do have to go to Nineveh. And you really do have to tell them to turn around and repent. And you really do have to tell them that unless they do it, they will be destroyed. 
And so Jonah goes, he tells them this, and then something miraculous happens. The people actually change, and we know how hard that is. The people actually change. Not only do the individuals repent, but the uh, king announces this proclamation that they've all turned to the Lord God. And the king says, and who knows, maybe God will save us. And it turns out God did. Last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they had changed their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and God didn't do it. God didn't destroy Nineveh. Yay, right? Everybody's happy, all except Jonah. And that's where we pick up now for this morning. Again, the whole chapter 4 is 11 verses. Jonah's reaction to the salvation of Nineveh. But this was displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said? Isn't this what I told you? While I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. Hmm. And then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went down out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city. Okay, So he's sitting and he's looking to see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about that bush. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. That day when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. And Jonah said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you're concerned about the bush for which you did not labor, which you did not grow. It came into being in the night and it perished in the night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also so many animals. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How about that? Jonah is angry at God for saving Nineveh. Jonah is angry, and he says, angry enough to die. Well, first he's angry enough to die about that bush. But he really means he's furious. Now, why would Jonah be furious about God saving a city? Right? It doesn't make any sense to us. Some say, scholars say, 
Jonah is angry because it makes him a false prophet. That was a really bad thing to be. If you said, this is what the Lord God said to me, there's going to be destruction, and then it didn't happen, you look like you really don't know what God is. You really aren't the messenger of God. God didn't do what Jonah said God was going to do. But there's that thing that happens next, and why this last chapter is so important into teaching us about compassion. For what happens is that God provides shade for Jonah. God is trying to teach Jonah a lesson, right? God provides shade for Jonah to uh, benefit for just Jonah. And then when he takes it away, that single plant, that single person, that's when Jonah said he's angry enough to die. And God now, I, and you know, we don't, we don't know how this ends, honestly. This is, we don't know what would the story go on if it did. But God, in that very last pass, that, those very last verses, says to Jonah, well, let me just whip it out here. God, in, those, in that very last, those last two verses, said to Jonah, you are concerned about the bush for which you didn't labor or you didn't have any responsibility for. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? You're concerned about that single bush that you had nothing to do with. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city where there's 120,000 people and all their animals? God says, I know you don't know those people, but I know those people. I know that you don't care about those people, but I care about those people. My people are your people, Jonah. Do you not care? Even if they seem to you like strangers or enemies. Last week, for those of you who were able to be in worship with us when we uh, celebrated communion here, and for those who were joining us from home, we had, for those of us here, we had in our little communion kits a slip of paper with a name of a country on it. And for those watching us on the screen, we had names up on the screen of places. And again, for some of you, for some of us, they were places that we knew. Some of them, we even knew people in those nations. But for others, and in intentional inclusion, some of you received slips of paper that said, pray for the people of North Korea, or Iran, or Iraq, or Russia, or China. If you didn't consider these enemies at least competitors, part of, I think, the limit of our human persons is that we care more for those that we know than those we don't. That's, that's real, right? That's real. And I think that is a good part of us, that we care deeply about those we know. But part of our brokenness, our sinfulness, the original sin is to care not for those we don't know. To identify people in other places or people unlike ourselves for whatever reason as less worthy of being saved or cared for. Hmm. So this morning, it's kind of like my... The, the simple message for this day is that we need to be challenged by Jonah's story and by God's words to Jonah for us to start with sorrow 
when we know that another people, another person, whether we know them or not, has been harmed. That even to be moved to tears. Now, for those of us, those of you who get our e-news, uh, this last Wednesday, this was our first post. This Wednesday, this past Wednesday, October 6th, we as United Methodists were called to a day of truth and repentance for children who are victims of the Indian boarding schools. Um, many of you have seen the news about uh, discovered graves at boarding schools, particularly in Canada. Um, but these boarding schools were really close to us. In fact, on October 6, 1879, Captain Richard Pratt opened the very first Indian boarding school in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is, what, five hours from here, not even? For almost 100 years. This isn't like so, this isn't just an ancient tale. For almost 100 years into the 1960s, thousands of Native American children were forcibly taken from their homes. They were moved into these schools. Their native names were taken away from them. They were punished for speaking or dressing in their native uh, garb or language. They were taught to reject their heritage, and they were trained to do manual labor, which was what was expected of them. We'd like to say this wasn't us, but Christian denominations, including Methodism, including Methodism, were involved in running some of these schools. Our hearts should be broken by these stories because God's heart is broken by these stories. See, so many times, some of us, and it appears to me as a white person, often white persons, when talking about situations in this country of things that have happened to Native Americans or persons of color, we, we go quickly to, well, it's not my fault. I'm not responsible. I wasn't even there. I had nothing to do with these Native schools. No one in my family ever owned slaves. I never, we never, and then we fill in the blank. Hmm. This doesn't have anything to do with me. And yet I can be so angry about something that feels like it does have something to do with me. I wonder if this isn't basically what Jonah was saying about those people in Nineveh. They don't have anything to do with me, God. They're not like me. They're no benefit to me. I still don't get it, God, why you saved them and made me look bad. And when I hear those, that, those last couple verses in Jonah, and when I think of this encounter with God in this text, God is saying, Jonah, if you could weep over a bush, couldn't you have wept with me over a whole city? that could have been destroyed, and yet we're rejoicing, and it is saved. You know, a couple of weeks ago in worship, I reminded you of that powerful passage in the Gospel of John, John 11, when, when Jesus goes to the tomb of his uh, dear friend, Lazarus. And Jesus knew what he was going to do. We know that from the rest of the story, that Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But the lesson tells us this. 
when Jesus saw Mary weeping and all those who were weeping with her, he was greatly disturbed in spirit. He was deeply moved, and Jesus began to weep. To be moved by sorrow of others is a holy and Christ-like act. Most often we do this with people we know, and that is good. Sometimes just identifying, you know, someone tells you a story, Someone tells you something that happened to them or their family. And maybe the tendency in us sometimes is to say, well, do you think you should have done this or that? Or do you think they should have done this or that? I'd like us to stop. And I remind myself of this, that sometimes what we need to say is, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that happened to your son, your daughter, your neighbor, your friend and allow for more conversation. And sometimes, right, as a person tells you their story, I mean, I'm a weeper. We, we do know that. We, <laughs> you all know very well I'm the weeper. Um, a tear might come to your eye. No explanation needed. A tear might come to your eye. Um, as my husband often says with his work in uh, Kentucky in the mission, sweat and tears don't lie. Sweat and tears don't lie. It is good and holy. It is Christ-like to weep with others. We do not need to challenge all the time a person's story. I think this lesson tells us God wants us to care and to be willing to weep and then work, by the way. To be willing to first weep with and then work for and with those who suffer. To allow another's story to turn us toward first empathy and understanding and then hopefully and prayerfully toward what can I do to alleviate the suffering of a person or a people. It's good and it's holy to be moved to tears. Amen.